Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bench Busted, a fantasy football podcast with me and Jack. Jack, how are you doing this week? Uh, I mean, look, I'm I'm all right as far, as far as FPL goes. It could have been a whole lot worse, but yeah, I'm I'm doing okay. Um, the team didn't do as bad as it perhaps could have done so yeah not not too bad actually i actually you, you'll hear it there i actually just stuttered and was exasperated already during the intro just just having to think about fantasy football because although you're you, you sound kind of down i don't know why um we'll find out how you did i think people will, will be will be surprised to find out that despite the way that you sound you've actually done very well this week but but for for people like me i've given up I've given up. That's what I'll say. I'll say I sent you the message, Jack. I sent you the message early on um, early on Wednesday, I think, just after we found out that Sterling had been benched. And I officially let you know that I've given up in a, in a very similar way to you letting me know that you've given up in, in sort of weeks two, four, seven, nine, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 18, 21 <laughs> and 23. I was going to say you've gone you've gone full me this week. Um, and I think it's sort of been symptomatic of you in your messages to me over the last couple of weeks, to be honest. I think, look, at the end of the day, FPL, as we both know, and as I think the, the, the FPL community in general sometimes forgets that FPL is just a game. Yes, we do a podcast and we sit down and have a discussion and we're, you know, constantly talking about it throughout the weeks. But at the end of the day, it, it, it is just a game and, and really we're just doing it for fun. Yes, getting high scores and you know, finishing in the upper echelons and, you know, that top 100k is always the target. But at the end of the day, it is just something that we do for fun. And, and it's something that we both enjoy doing as well. So look, as bad as your week might be going, I, I would say as well, I said this to you, we are there, there's still plenty of the season left to go. You know, we've just finished game week 27. There are 11 games left for the majority of the team. Some of them have even more, some of them have slightly less. But you know, for the majority of them, there are, there are still time to catch up and there's still time to get massive points all and, and uh, yeah, move your rank up and increase it. And so, yeah, like I say, it's it's not the end of the world, mate. Don't don't beat yourself up about it. No, in, in truth, I, I'm not as I'm not as upset and as, as beside it all as, as 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 it may come across. I think I think the issue is and, and this is something that, that you're right. It comes up a lot in fantasy football. It is a game. And it's it's a game that I'm not going to say it's all to do with chance, right? Because you 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 pick a lot of the players based on sort of good statistics. Um, for example, owning Shaw picked picked based on good stats, good good fundamentals, good pick. Owning Creswell, if you do that, similar sort of thing. The, the man puts in a lot of crosses. If you pick the players that 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 look good and and that have the good stats, then on average you're rewarded, right? But it's it's the weeks like this and. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna moan too much. I'm not gonna talk about it too much. My last few transfers, my last few weeks, have been building up to this. For example, I'd got Danny Ings in because he had the double. I, I had Raheem Sterling in. I, I'd made some moves specifically targeting sort of the doubles, making sure that I had players from the teams. And in short, and I'll, I'll do this first. I'll let you know how my week's gone. It go. It, it went appallingly. Um. So I so I held on to Danny Ings throughout everything because I thought that Southampton. Um, the double in 25 didn't go very well. We were aware of that. But I thought 26 and then 27, hold on to Ings, it'll work out. He got injured within 12 minutes in the first game. And that was it for Ings. One point, wow, quality stuff. It turns out that holding Antonio would have just been better all along, right? Same for Sterling. He didn't even play in the second game. He continued his his 22-game streak of not scoring versus Manchester United by not scoring versus Manchester United and, and then didn't even start in a 5-2 thriller against Southampton where the points were there for the taking. And and then it's also the next question that I'm I'm building up to. But uh and and it's these sorts of decision making processes that that when it goes wrong and when it doesn't pay off for you, feel quite bad. And and that's sort of why why I'm saying it's a bit of a flop of a week. In fact I didn't even mention Cancelo, but again he played in the United game and then didn't play at all in the Southampton game, netting me one point for what was effectively 180 minutes of play. It's, it's quite disappointing. Um, in fact, I'm looking around my team. Salah, Trent Alexander-Arnold, even Saka all did, and Bamford, all did similar things. So in the end, for this game week, I've ended up in 48 with 48 points. I've dropped out of the top million players now. Um, I'm falling hard in all the leagues. 
And it's also off the back of, of my worst ever double game week as well. Um, sort of in 26, where despite having nine players that doubled, I again, like only scored 60 something, which is appalling for, for a week where most of my players are playing twice. So that's why I'm feeling quite bad. And when I say I've given up, I've given up competitively. I'll see out the plans I made through to the end. I'll pick all the players. I'll make the transfers. But in terms of having hope, Jack, it's gone. I have no hope. I am I am hopeless. I am a void of hope. I am I don't have any ambitions anymore um for this for this season in terms of finishing well, which is okay. I'm at peace with it. And the final decision, Jack, the final thing that that I'm here to end with a question directed entirely at you is why did we both drop Bruno for Son? We spent the first 10, 15 game weeks of this podcast continually saying we need Bruno. The Bruno high roll isn't, we, we can't avoid the Bruno high roll forever. He just high rolls constantly. And then, and then we drop him. And, and what happens? He high rolls. He gets a penalty in, in the second minute. And, and, and that's all she wrote. We, we messed that up, I think. A lot to think about there, Jack. I've started very <laughs> on the edge of a cliff. <laughs> Tell me how your week went. Tell me why we dropped Bruno. I just need I just need some reassurance that it was the right thing to do. I, I I think it's certainly my job to sort of, you know, pull you back away from that cliff and just reassure you that it's not all doom and gloom. Um, I ended on 63 points. I did take a minus four going into this week, purely based on, you know, trying to set myself up for blank game at 29 in, in a week or so's time. I Yeah, like I say, a lot of blanks on the team. Um, having the double up with the City defenders didn't work out. Um, City, although they are still, you know, one of the best defensive sides in the league, you look at their last sort of four or five games, and you know they've they, they've only kept what is it one clean sheet out of the last six games. So maybe there are questions starting to creep in. The rotation from Pep certainly doesn't help. Um, I had the armband on Gundogan, so you can bet your bottom dollar that I was. Breathing a sigh of relief when he did score against Southampton in the uh, double game week game, picking up 20 points. Um, and then I also had Harry Kane as well, who I think a combination of Kane and Gundogan really just saved my game week. Otherwise, you know, you're staring at lots of blanks. I mean, Robertson, why do I still have Robertson? Even I don't really understand that, to be honest. I think it's it's very difficult at the moment to sort of justify making unnecessary transfers especially with the blank game week in mind and and sort of trying to gear the transfers towards combating that as as well as we can and I think a lot of a lot of FPL managers sort of find themselves in in the same boat as well like I say I mean the Calvert-Lewin I I bought him in on a punt as well because of how well he has done and, and and how well he was doing towards the start of the season but in the last six games he's he's only got one assist over those over those six games so I don't know I mean DCL will probably stay in the team for game week 28 there are other issues in the team that I do need to sort out but like I say it's a bunch of blanks all round apart from Kane, Gundogan and, and Son and of course you know the inevitable Emmy Martinez picking up yet another clean sheet so I think Emmy Martinez now is only something like 37 points away from Brad Friedel's uh, record for the highest scoring goalkeeper in FPL. I mean look going into this week yes there was you mentioned it there was the question about Bruno Fernandes and Everything that we said last week, talking about Bruno Fernandes as well and and how he seemingly disappears in the big games. I think that that was certainly something that swayed my decision quite a bit, Um, you know, considering how well Man City were doing and, and how good that they have been in the entire season defensively. It was sort of a toss of a coin really between Bruno Fernandes and, and Mo Salah. Mo Salah had the more favourable fixture against Fulham. That didn't work out, as you know, and, and no doubt we'll run through some of the fixtures in a moment. But yeah, for me, I think it was just a flip of the coin decision, to be honest. I think the the odds were that Salah would outperform Bruno Fernandes in terms of looking at their form and, and their fixtures. But as you say, Bruno Fernandes is, if anything's going to happen, if anything magical is going to happen in that Manchester United team, it is going to, more, more often than not, it's going to be coming via that man Bruno Fernandes so yeah maybe a bit of a uh, a bit of a tough decision and, and something that we just have to again just 
take it on the chin and move on really I think both of us are very much in the mindset of using our wild card in in a few weeks time and again I think that that will definitely breathe a bit of uh, fresh air into both of our teams and sort of help us combat the last eight nine games of of the season so look as, as down as you want to be about it um, I mean I only scored three points above the average you take into account the uh the, the minus four and, and I'm one point below the average and my goal certainly throughout this season has been just to try and beat the average game week points and, and falling one point below it isn't the the end of the world but it's just a lot of people bringing in KDB you know KDB is back on the scene now and and it's something again that we just had to sort of deal with uh through this week and and we both know that at some point KDB and Bruno Fernandes will probably be in our teams so I, I I don't think it's I don't think it's the end of the world I think we just need to sort of take a step back from FPL and just appreciate the fact that you know we are we are still both in a relatively strong position I would say even though you have dropped outside the top million now it's it's still a relatively decent position and and you talk about mini leagues and stuff as well I think yeah mini leagues for me is is where it's at I'm not so much concerned about my overall rank I did take quite a big drop over the last couple of weeks but again like I say it's I'm I'm focusing on trying to win the mini leagues, just enjoy myself whilst I'm playing it as well. So although I sound a bit down, actually, I mean, it could have been a whole lot worse. um, But I know that with the average being relatively high, let's be honest, um, I I, I could have done a whole lot better and I could have increased my uh, my chances of winning quite a few mini leagues. But it wasn't to be. So just take it and, and move on, really. Yeah, it's actually sat here thinking about it, sat here talking about it. It's very similar um, sort of feeling you get in a, in a lot of other games. That there's always going to be any time you play anything competitive online, there's always going to be not just variants associated with the way that you perform, but there's going to be bad beats. It, I've played lots of games, poker, Hearthstone, um, even if you're sort of just doing skill-based single-player stuff, right? There are always times where you feel unable to perform the way that you want to, or you're losing a lot more than you 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 obviously would like to. And I think that's just what I'm in at the moment. Uh, you less so, clearly less so. Um, just that sort of rut where you do, you just get some bad variants come your way and it can be very just disheartening. And I'm saying that I've given up hope, but actually there's still a huge part of me that thinks come the game week 30 wildcard, come the opportunity to change this team, to get rid of all of these jokers, to stop having to build towards game week 29, which honestly... Not even sure if it's worth it now based on the sort of the way it's gone or, or not even sure building towards these doubles was worth it based on how some of it's gone. Although that's very results orientated. When, when all that happens, there will still be eight game weeks of of opportunity to, to gain the leads back, to, to gain the points back, to, to gain the positions back on the people that have overtaken me. And that's sort of what I'm holding on to. And that's all I can hold on to. And, and that's how that's how you play in other games as well. You... You take your bad results when you get them, you accept that it's bad variance, and then you keep trying to make good decisions and you keep trying to make put yourself in the best position to perform moving forwards. Uh, and that's sort of where I'm at. It is very much that Pep Guardiola mentality. You know, you, you, you hear him talk about at the end of each game when he's giving his post-match interviews and, and whatever, you know, he's always talking about, uh, you know, we just move on to the next game. Let's just move on to the next game. We'll take it one game at a time. And I think that that's very much what, FPL is at the moment for the both of us in particular you know it's very much take it just a game week at a time yes you'll set yourself targets and and you obviously want to win your mini leagues come the end of the season but you can only really take it as it comes I mean at the end of the day yes there is an air of predictability about some of the results and you can sort of guess as it were at what teams are going to beat what other teams but at the end of the day it is primarily luck based you know your team can look really really good when you watch them play but when it comes down to the FPL points you know their performance on the pitch might not transfer into FPL points gained and it's very much yeah I, I would say a lot of people who use statistics do often do quite a bit better. I have been trying to use a bit more statistics this season, but uh, it's, it's not quite worked out how I want. Um, and I think that that's really just a, a combination of maybe looking too much at statistics and maybe, again, just not trusting my gut at times um, and, and not going with my, my first instinct. It's like like I tell you, at the end of each game week, I, I instantly have a look at my team. Or as soon as the game week deadline is, is passed and, you know, the, the, the first game has kicked off, I look at my team and I 
decide who I want to put the captain's armband instantly on for for the next game week. And then more often than not this season, I've looked at it coming up to the deadline for the next game week and I've changed it. And and again, it's just something that I need to refrain from doing. And, and I've done it way too often this season for my liking, to be honest. But like I say, it's just, yeah, take it one game at a time, one week at a time. And you could have an absolutely massive game week when the average is really, really low. And, you know, you, you cap out yourself up to quite a high rank. So it's not, I've, I've said this many times already on this on this recording, but it's not the end of the world, mate. Just, yeah, just, just, just have fun, really. At, at the risk of this becoming a conversation about um, whether you're, you're process or results <laughs> orientated, and, and I'd argue that being process driven is far, far more beneficial and efficient. I know that you're going to look at the way that, that, that certain players perform. For example, I know that you, you saw, um, and we'll get, we're literally about to go through the results, but Kane had a blinder and, and you were a little annoyed that, that you didn't captain Kane, that you captained Gundogan instead, which has lost you eight points in the end. But if you're process driven and rather than results orientated, if you, if you use the available information you have at the time that Gundogan plays twice, um, that, that Man City are the best attacking team in the league, that Crystal Palace had literally just ground out a nil nil against Man United, who have scored the second most goals in the league, I think. You can you, you can see that there's a lot of good reasons to make the decisions you made. It's the same for getting rid of Fernandez. He he went into a Man City game where he he consistently blanks against the big teams. He was largely anonymous in that game anyway, and then obviously has West Ham coming up this weekend and a blank after that. It made sense to get rid of him over Salah, who had Liverpool, who had Fulham at home, and then they've got Wolves away afterwards. So. So the decisions that we've made haven't been bad decisions, but they've been decisions that have uh, gone against us in the end, I think. Sim- similar to sort of getting Ings in when Southampton to Sheffield and Southampton to, to Man City, that's, that's that's two good opportunities for him to score. Unfortunately, he got injured in the first 12 minutes of the Sheffield United game. And of the four goals that Southampton subsequently scored uh, across the two games, he was involved in none of them, which is, uh, which is quite sad. So... Yeah, I, I don't want to change it into a conversation about whether we should be result, like how to be better sort of driven and how to evaluate your decision making, because I think that's quite a dry conversation. But it can be quite good to look back and, and to say, did I make the best decision with the information I had at the time? And I think you have, Jack. I think you did by captaining Gundogan. Just just to maybe get you in a mood, get you in a good mood, because you can win this mini league that we're in. You can. Ha- oh, you, you're going to boss it and you're quite close to the top. So without further ado anyway, let's let's go through the football. Let's talk football. Let's start with Saturday. Burnley drew 1-1 with Arsenal. Sheffield United lost 2-0 to Southampton. Villa drew 0-0 with Wolves. And Brighton, Brighton lost 2-1 to Leicester. A couple of things to note here. First one, Arsenal. We suddenly have a vested interest in Arsenal. We, we were big fans of Saka. What did you think of the game? What did you make of it? Did you did you like the way Arsenal played? Well, I mean, Saka not starting um, was, you know, maybe a bit of a gut punch. He did come on for, you know, 20 minutes or so towards the end of the game. But I, I, I think the the fact that Arsenal are involved in the Europa League still, which of course happens on, on Thursday evenings and there's a quick turnaround into the Premier League games, um, it's always going to play on Mikel Arteta's mind. Um, I think Arsenal came out of the block certainly and, and looked very, very good. The goal that they conceded to Burnley was, I mean, completely avoidable. Xhaka and Leno, to be honest, I, I have no idea what was going through both of their minds. You know, there's a lot of debate, certainly in the Arsenal community, as to who was to blame for for that goal. Um, I think, you know, if in doubt, get it out kick the ball away if if you don't if you don't have a an easy option or an easy out ball just just hoof it up the pitch neither of them decided to do that and then it resulted in yeah Leno and Xhaka playing passes in between each other for a couple of times and Xhaka looking to tr- find the uh, I think it was David Luiz across the box and and Chris Wood was there and his pass essentially just hit Chris Wood on on his hip and rebounded into the goal so you know from an Arsenal point of view I think if you're a fan, you're obviously very disappointed. I think it's, again, a very avoidable goal. Um, and to be honest, maybe that was something that was playing on Arsenal's minds. Um, the fact that they had conceded in that way and, and, and it did look like a bit of a struggle for them to, to find the, their way back into that game after that mistake. I don't know. I, I think 
Arsenal being one of the teams up do playing in game week 29 is sometimes they can be a bit misleading, as it were. You know, Arsenal one week are absolutely banging in the goals for fun. And you look at that front attacking unit of Aubameyang, Erdegaard in there as well, Emil Smith-Rowe when he was fit, uh, Saka, Lacazette, you know, all of those players are, are very good players. And, and, you know, on their day, they, they can certainly turn it up a notch. I mean, we both had Aubameyang at the start of the season, you know, we were when when the prices got released at the start of the season and when the position changed from a striker down to a midfielder got announced, we were both licking our lips and thinking, okay, Aubameyang can do he can do the business this year in FPL and it and it it's yet to come to fruition for Aubameyang. I think that he does still have goals in his locker and we saw it, you know, he did get the opening goal against Burnley, but I don't know, man. I mean, Arsenal just look a bit lacking in in desire, as it were. Certainly, when it comes to the league. I mean, in in the Europa League, you know, they've they've been scoring goals for fun, seemingly. I don't know. I don't know what needs to change. I don't know what Mikel Arteta needs to do to get that team back up and running in the Premier League. Oh man, do you know what? When Chris Wood scored that goal, he did the finger wag as well at the end. Did you see it? The the, the finger wag, like he just scored an absolute screamer. <laughs> like he just won Burnley, like the Champions League. The, the the confident finger wag, like he planned it all along. That 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 was hilarious to me. I think the biggest takeaway from this game for anyone who is a Saka owner is that Saka was largely anonymous for about seventy minutes because Jack. Um, I hate to break it to you, but he played all 90. He he played the entire game. Did he actually? Oh, man. <laughs> Just so invisible. So painfully invisible. And that's what you get when you bring a player into your team for the first time. You get this horrible, invisible performance. Yeah, wow. I I mean, yeah, I, I, I was thinking about the Leicester game, but yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I stand corrected. But as you say, I mean, he wasn't, he was largely, yeah, silent in that game. Yeah, no, I mean... Yeah, you stank. It's, it's not even about the correction. It's just about the fact that he's just not noticeable. He just wasn't noticeable in that Burnley game, which um, could easily be what we see when we get to the, the game week 29 blanks. We could have built our teams in this direction just to see something like this, like a like a, a West Ham 1, Arsenal 1 situation where someone you don't own scores and it's all a bit sort of disappointing, um, which I'm pumped for, really pumped for. Uh, the second game, Southampton versus Sheffield. Very, very run-of-the-mill sort of stuff from Southampton. Obviously, Ings got injured, and obviously, they immediately then got a penalty, which Ings would have usually taken. Just disappointing stuff for me. Um, otherwise, Southampton look like they're sorting their stuff out again. They they had a bit of a blip, but they're scoring goals now and defending against the teams that you'd expect them to at least defend against. Fair play to Southampton. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the biggest test for them, let's be honest. I mean, Sheffield are a bit down in the dumps at the moment they're struggling to score goals uh, they're conceding quite a few goals um, so yeah fair, fair play to Southampton I mean one player who has sort of stepped into the, the spotlight as it were who was maybe a bit of an understudy to Danny Engs is of course Che Adams someone that I think I certainly owned towards the start of the season I know you were a big fan of him as well earlier in the season but he's he's suddenly coming into his own and I mean James Ward-Prowse he looks like he is going to be that 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 creative force for them for for many years to come, unless of course Liverpool come and and, and snap him up away from Ralph Hasenhutl. But I think Southampton maybe not enjoying the same sort of bounce back that they had last season when they lost nine nil against uh, against Leicester. I mean, we know that they lost nine nil this season against Man United, and and I think a lot of a lot of the football community were were sort of relying on the fact that they came back so strongly after that uh, Leicester defeat last season that they weren't maybe uh, worried about Southampton. But I think that there are some promising signs. I think also going forward, you know, when you look at the fixtures on paper, they are, look, Liverpool aren't in the greatest of form. They, they, they do play them in, in like a month or so. They finish the season maybe not in, in, in the best uh, in terms of the fixtures, but Certainly for the immediate future and around the the blank game weeks for Southampton, they are they have favourable fixtures. Am I looking to jump on any Southampton assets? Not right now, but potentially in the future. Who knows? But yeah, South, Southampton doing the job, picking up all three points, and you know moving ever closer to that elusive forty point target. Oh yeah, they are. And the other two games, Villa versus Wolves, nil nil. Not a lot to say about that. Um, pretty pretty as pretty much as it was. Both teams lacking in attack. Both teams look like they've got sort of decent defensive options. Emi Martinez is still a god amongst men. And then the only reason I've done this is because I really want to mention the Brighton-Leicester game, where all season Brighton have massively, massively underperformed their XG. They they create chances, but because their finishers and their strikers and 
their goalkeepers as well, actually, because expected points, um, different sort of metric, but similar thing that they're underperforming. Um, because all these players are below average, they score fewer goals than they should and they concede more goals than they should. And as a result, their XG and their expected points are always a lot higher than they actually are. However, in this game against Leicester, Brighton actually overperformed their XG. If you can believe it, they scored more goals than than you would typically expect them to, which is um, beautiful, Jack. It's beautiful because they still lost. They still lost 2-1. They still got pumped in the end. Yeah, no, I mean, Brighton started off the game looking like the, 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 the more lively of the teams. I think Leicester slowly grew into that game. I think missing the likes of Barnes and Madison, you know, there's a lot of talk about Jamie Vardy and how important he is in in that squad, but I think you can quite clearly see that that Leicester are, are missing that creative spark in Madison and Barnes, and I think Barnes, when Vardy's not performing to his best, we know that Barnes does like to you know come in from the left hand side and and support Vardy up top, and and Madison sort of drops a bit deeper and tries to link up the play through the midfield. Um, and yeah, maybe, maybe it's a bit off the boil at the moment, but Leicester did very well to uh, to, to win that game. I would say um, Iheanacho picking up the goal and, and Amati as well. One player that I am still impressed by week in week out, who just seems to be such a consistent performer, and maybe if he could up his goal scoring output and 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 his assist contributions as well, is Yuri Tielemans. I mean. You know, he, he's looking like he is, again, when they are missing the likes of, of Madison um, and Barnes, he is that player that takes it on himself to try and be that creative spark. He, he got an assist in that game as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm liking the look at Tielemans. But again, it's it's his positioning and, and the fact that he is sort of a, a semi-holding midfielder, I would say. It's not great in terms of FPL assets, but... Yeah, he, he's looking like a, a very good, uh, a very good player. Who again, if if Brendan Rodgers is there for for years to come, and if he stays at the club, then then I reckon he could mature into into a, a fantastic player for Leicester. I've got my bingo card out, and I'm so upset you didn't say it because he's a cheap midfielder, and I was just really <laughs> hoping. I was really hoping you'd be yeah. So he's a really good cheap midfielder, and oh, Jack, you love a cheap midfielder. You you love a cheap midfielder. So I was hoping that you'd maybe go for that. On Sunday, um, West Brom drew 0-0 with Newcastle. Honestly, nothing game. Very boring. Liverpool lost 1-0 to Fulham. Uh, Man City lost 2-0 to Man United. And Spurs beat Crystal Palace 4-1. So let's go over the West Brom-Newcastle game because, honestly, big fat who cares from us. Liverpool versus Fulham. What is going on? Liverpool have now lost six on the bounce at home in the league. Why do you own Robertson? Why do I own Trent? Is there anything salvageable at that club? Should we show faith in their assets? It's, it's all it's all very up in the air. It is. To be honest, I think that this is, you know, I've been sort of saying it to myself throughout the week as well. It, it very much comes down to FOMO and, and you know, fear of missing out. Um, and, and it is one of those things that I think we've both been punished by it before in terms of, Previous seasons when we have taken Mo Salah, or certainly me, I speak for myself maybe, but when I have taken Mo Salah out of my team, he has come back to, to, to bite me. So it is one of those sort of any sensible person would have taken out Andy Robertson and, and Trent Alexander-Arnold maybe about 10 weeks ago, to be honest, because they, you know, Liverpool haven't been keeping clean sheets. The, the fact that their centre-backs and, you know, arguably one of the best centre-backs in the league and in the world even has been out since I think what is it game week six or something it doesn't it doesn't help them um the fact that then you know you lose the likes of Joel Matip as well as Joe Gomez as well you do sort of lose that solidarity in that defence and and I mean that's not to say that Trent and Robertson won't be good assets in terms of their attacking output but when you're looking at defenders not only do you want attacking output you you also want to have that reassurance of them keeping a clean sheet um, because that's that's what you well certainly that's what I look for when it comes to defenders Um, as good as attacking output they can they can produce as as good as that is to have it's it's always it's, it's always better to know that you've got a set of defenders who are fairly good at keeping clean sheets and that hasn't been the case for them this season the weird thing about Liverpool is that it's it's they seem to be a completely different team when they play in the Champions League. They 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 knocked out RB Leipzig and they looked fantastic. You know the the defensive partnership with Ozan Kabak and I think it was Nat Phillips playing as well. They just looked so good. Um, and I don't know what happens 
when they play in the Premier League, certainly at home as well, as you as you alluded to. It's uh, something's not right about that team. I think there are, you know, that there, there are title defenses and there are title defenses. And I honestly don't know what's going on with, with Liverpool. I think maybe they're going through a bit of a rough patch. You know, they've been incredible over the last three or four years and maybe now it's sort of taking its toll on them, as it were. I think Salah, for me, Salah is a hold until the wild card. Whether or not he's in the team after the wild cards is yet to be seen. Jota is now back in the mix as well. It's just a weird situation at Liverpool and I think that we're both holding on to them because you know we, we've both been in the firm belief that it can't go on forever and, and it has done and, and it's just... Yeah, I mean, I've certainly come to the end of wanting to own Robertson at the moment but like I say I'm not I'm not rushing to get him out until the wild card that's that, that's where I'm at and and I think that Liverpool next season if they've got the likes of Van Dijk and everyone back and fit there's absolutely no reason why they won't be you know must owns in the FPL season next year but yeah I, I, I don't know really where I stand with them at the moment. Mad isn't it mad I I'm glad you said the Champions League thing because it's something I was going to bring up too where I feel like every time I own Trent or, or any Liverpool defender or tackle whatever and they're going through a bad period in the league, they just absolutely demolish the Champions League. It was very similar earlier on in the group stages as well where I'd own Trent in the league and he'd get one point and then in the Champions League he'd get an assist and a clean sheet and then he'd come back to the league and be atrocious again and it just it's so maddening that they can turn it on. As soon as they hear champions is it solely down to the fact that they are missing quite a few key defenders or or do you think that Premier League teams after seeing them for the last couple of seasons are now sort of slowly figuring out the way that Jurgen Klopp plays and and the way that that Liverpool team plays day in day out Is, is that something that other Premier League teams have maybe become a bit more accustomed to now I I honestly don't know I I think and this is big I'm going to make some claims here I think that We've seen this sort of thing before. Chelsea have done it before when they've been defending a title. They've just sort of almost given up on the league in order to try and play in the in the, in the European Cups. I think Leicester have done similar. There's been some really dodgy title defences in the past where teams have almost stopped bothering with the league very early on um, to play well in Europe. And I don't know if it's, if it's something that actually you have to do. But Liverpool also have all these injuries and they've got new midfielder in Thiago who is adjusting, I think it's fair to say. They've they've hit this rough patch at the same time of form where it looks like Salah isn't getting as many shots and, and Trent was struggling with COVID for a bit. Honestly, I think it's just a weird perfect storm. And when the perfect storm comes, you can batten down the hatches and you can give up give up give up your cat. Just forget it. We, we don't save the cat. Leave that outside. It'll make its own way. And and you focus on on something that that on one thing, right? And and it seems to me that they're focusing on the Champions League, which um, yeah, great. Not not great for the fantasy team, but but fine, good good for them. They won't win it anyway because um, I don't know if I've told you this actually, Jack, but Chelsea are going to win the Champions League. Um, more on that later. But 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 Liverpool can probably at least make it to the final as long as they don't have to face Chelsea before then. I think I think as well. Certainly when it comes to. The Premier League and sort of looking at title defences as well. You know, very few teams have managed to successfully defend their Premier League title. Um, I think as well, when you look at it, Liverpool winning it last season, they became only the the seventh team to win the Premier League in, in sort of, you know, the Premier League era, as it were. And I think, you know, out of the God knows how many years that it's been the Premier League, only six teams have successfully defended their title the next season. So it's, again, it's 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 a lot more difficult to defend the title. I think certainly when it comes to European competitions, when a team is not doing as well as they perhaps should be doing or want to be doing in the league, then they do sort of fall back on that option and say, OK, well, we're going to put all of our eggs in one basket and try to win this European competition so that we can then qualify for it uh, during the next season so yeah may- maybe that's something that Liverpool's doing I-, I I still don't think it's out of the realms of possibility for them to finish top four um, by by no stretch of the imagination um, so look at the end of the day 
Liverpool are just going through a bit of a rough patch, and I think it's maybe just going on a bit longer than a lot of people would have expected it to. Yeah, bad bad variants. And then, and then actually, speaking of a rough patch, Man City lost a single game of football. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe it? I, I didn't see this coming. Um, so they lost 2-0 to Man United. Uh, we've mentioned that Bruno got a... He got a penalty in the in the first two minutes and converted it before sort of doing nothing for the next for the next eighty eight, which is as you'd expect to be honest. But Jack, my man, Luke Shaw scored his second ever Premier League goal. He did it for me. He knew I was having a bad week. He just popped it in. Oh, great run as well from almost his own box to to get to get on the end of it. Oh, just. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. What do you think? Is Luke Shaw a shoo-in for your wild card? What did you think of the game, actually, in general? I wouldn't even blame the City defence for that penalty. You know, Gabriel Jesus, for some bizarre reason, was was back on the edge of his own penalty area, trying to win the ball back after giving it away. And, and he committed the foul on, on Anthony Martial. And again, it was something that was unnecessary from him. So whether or not the game would have panned out a different way, had Man City still have had their clean sheet intact after the first couple of minutes, then, you know, I, I could see that game quite honestly ending nil-nil, as you say. Bruno Fernandes, after the penalty, he didn't... He was good in parts, but it never really looked like he was going to create anything. And again, how much is that down to the the way that Man City play and the way that they defend? I, I don't really know. But I think Bruno Fernandes, again, he's against the big six teams we mentioned it last week but against the big six teams now he scored two goals and they've both been penalties granted you know they they won this time around but the first goal that he scored uh, earlier in the season was against Spurs in a 6-1 loss um so I still do think although he's trying to you know he when when he scores that penalty he does go off and celebrate slide on his knees put his hands over his ears to try and you know block out the all of the hate that he's been receiving about how he doesn't perform in big games I still think that there is an air of inevitability that if he is going to get anything in these big games then it is going to come from the penalty spot Luke Shaw fantastic player um I mean to keep to keep a clean sheet against this seemingly free-scoring Manchester City team it's uh it's very difficult to do that and a lot of teams haven't been able to do that certainly you know over their last what was it 21 games that they were winning in a row fantastic from from United Luke Shaw certainly is on the radar um, I have to say that he has been a fantastic pick for you but yeah I mean credit where credit's due you know Man United did they they, they dug in deep towards the end of that game as well and and we know, and I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer knew how potent that Manchester City side can be. And they, they set up really well, I think. I think credit has to go to, of course, Dean Henderson, you know, stepping up. David De Gea seemingly out for, you know, personal reasons for, I think, you know, anywhere in the region between four and five weeks. So Dean Henderson stepping up, keeping a clean sheet fantastic for him as well to, to, to keep a clean sheet against, you know, the local rivals in Manchester City. So, yeah. Credit where credit's due, Man United played played their absolute heart out. And I think, again, like I say, the sort of Salah versus Bruno decision was really just a flip of a coin. And, and I think we both got it wrong. Yeah, no, um, a word, actually. I think it's very fun. You obviously say towards the end, Man City pushed. And it's, it's absolutely because Gabriel Jesus came off. I think if you're ever looking... If you're ever, and, and this is something we've not done in, in, in almost two and a half years or, or, or yeah, two years of, of, of talking about fantasy football almost with each other now. We've never seriously considered Gabriel Jesus. We've at no point have we ever thought about getting him in in a serious way. And it's because he's just rubbish. He's just so bad. He, he, he was on for the first 70 minutes. And after he came off, uh, Phil Foden came on and Man City were fluid. They were attacking. They had... Runners into the box from midfield, which the Man, City, Man United defence uh, struggled a lot more with. But when he was on the pitch, all he did was he'd move, he, he, he'd make special effort to move behind an additional defender one when when his teammates were on the ball, like Sterling, for example. So instead of making the run across like Lindelof or Maguire, depending on the direction, he would instead move backwards behind the other centre-back so that he was effectively marked entirely out of the game whenever Man City were in attack. And and they couldn't get anything going with him on the pitch. And as someone who obviously had captained Sterling, as, as someone who was desperate for returns, just upsetting. I, I can't handle how bad 
Jesus is at football. Uh, just sort of the basics like positioning and, and just making good decisions on the pitch. He's terrible at it. He's atrocious. And this is going to be reactionary. But I, honestly, I don't think he belongs to, to a top... I don't think he belongs to a premiership team. He... he he doesn't fit in 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 any team in the league. He he's just not good enough. He, if Brighton had him, he would consistently miss the chances that Brighton get. It's not like he'd improve their squad. So what what's the point? Why does he play? Why why does he start games? Can if Man City buy a striker, they're going to be um, phenomenal for, for for years to come. I think, which is it's the worry because they're linked with um, Haaland. I think with Man City and and Jesus, you have to. You have to realise that I don't think, you know, assigning a, a relatively young Brazilian striker who is, let's be honest, he's unproven in the big leagues, trying to sign him and, and, and have him make an instant impact and have him be the quote-unquote successor to the club's leading goal scorer in, in history in, in Aguero is, it's always going to be a big task for him to step up. I think perhaps if he wasn't, they're replacing someone like Aguero. Maybe the, the the criticisms wouldn't be as harsh as they are. I mean, I completely agree with you in terms of you know they they certainly look a lot more creative and a lot more fluid when he's not playing. Um, and we've seen it time and time again, more often than not this season, that Pep has gone with no out and out striker starting on the pitch, and he, and he does sort of go with the attacking wingers as it were all rotating in front of that midfield three so yeah I, I I think it's maybe a bit harsh on him but certainly at a team of Manchester City's caliber and you know the amount of chances that Manchester City create and, and if he's getting himself in in the right positions which he's not doing at the moment then you know he could quite easily be a you know 15 20 goal a season scorer for for that side but as you say he's, he's not he's not making the the sort of right runs for that team I mean Aguero again at some point they are going to have to replace him I don't think Jesus is the uh, man to do that and I think that they are going to have to dip their toes into the transfer market in in the summer certainly to uh, reinforce that, that that attacking line but maybe they don't even need to do that if, if they are going to be continually playing with just essentially six midfielders on the pitch and, and, and having those attacking wingers and to be honest I'm I, I think when David Silva retired or, or when David Silva left the club, sorry, at the end of last season, there was sort of an air of inevitability about Foden starting more often. Um, it's not been the case. I think Pep doesn't want to rush Foden into things, but I think that they look so much better when he's playing and, and he's just a fantastic young talent. And I think he needs to be utilised a lot more. He needs to be starting a lot more often in that Manchester City side. Yes, they've got the big names in that team but I think Foden slowly but surely is proving himself to be a big name in that side and, and like we say you know he creates things when he comes on the pitch he's always looking for the run of a different player when he's on the pitch and he's always playing those cute passes forward in behind the defense and yeah it's it's a bit disappointing to see him starting on the bench uh, more often than not so yeah I, I I think Pep Pep is being cautious with him but he he needs to start playing him a bit more mate Keep him rested for the Euros, right? Let's just win that. <laughs> Please, let's just win that. Um, it would be nice, wouldn't it? We've got so many young English midfielders and a couple of them are getting injured. Grealish is injured still, but um, let's keep Foden rested. Let's give him a Euros. Let's just win that despite Gareth Southgate and, and, and go from there, I think. So the final game on Sunday was Spurs Crystal Palace, uh, a game that I actually didn't think would be very high scoring. Turned out to be very high scoring, four one to Spurs. The usual suspects turned up, but they also had a friend, uh, a guy by the name of uh, sorry, hang on, let me just check my notes here. Gareth Bale, Gareth Bale, what's going on? How is Gareth Bale suddenly back on the scene and just popping in goals for fun? Where has this come from? Does he know? Does he know that it's twenty twenty one? Should we? Be, should I get him in my team, Jack? Oh. I'm very excited about all of these things. Tell me more. Well, I think I think his goal-scoring efforts and his points hauls over the last couple of weeks have, have certainly suggested that he is one to be looking to, to get into the teams ahead of blank game week 29. Spurs being one of the teams that do feature in that blank game week as well um, against Aston Villa. So maybe he's working his way into an argument for, for the teams. I currently have Son and and uh, Harry Kane in in the team, and like I said earlier, you know 
more than happy to have Harry Kane picking up two goals and two assists. Um, Bale as well. What's interesting, I think, about Bale and the way that he's been used as well is he rarely ever plays, certainly in the Premier League, he rarely ever plays the entire game. I mean, the last three games that he did play um, against Burnley, Fulham and Crystal Palace, you know, they're, again, all on paper games that, that he can be scoring. Um, and, and of course, he did score two goals in the Burnley game and, and two goals in the Palace game. And, you know, to do that with limited minutes as well, unfortunate not to get anything in that Fulham game. But to do what he's done, having only played about 200 minutes across three games. Um, yeah, he, he certainly does have to be on a lot of a lot of FPL managers minds at the moment. Um, I think as well, it's it's very much just about consistency. For him, I think Mourinho is going to be rotating him in and out of the squad, um, certainly with the, the Europa League in mind as well. Again, Spurs, one of those teams that are on the cusp of being able to make it into the top four. I reckon they'll be there or thereabouts uh, come the end of the season, but I think Spurs probably have a bit more hope, as it were, to, to try and find their way into the Champions League by winning the Europa League. And, and they certainly have a very good opportunity to go deep into that competition. And there's absolutely no reason why Gareth Bale can't be a fantastic option for, for, for FBL. So, yeah, look, at the end of the day, I mean, Bale, we all know what Bale can do. And we all know, you know, the Bale of old during his first stint at Spurs was just fantastic. And he came out and said after the game, you know, he's lost a bit of his pace and you know he he understands that he's not the player that he once was for that Spurs side and I think he's sort of adapting his game a little bit to to try and suit the way that Mourinho wants to play I mean I'm, I'm I am considering him um certainly for for the game week 29 option uh but again it's just a it's a bit of a tricky one because I, I even talked about it last week um after the Spurs double game week where where he did look like he was back to his best you know is it a bit too risky to go with the triple Spurs attack. I, I don't really think it's as much of a risk as perhaps some people are making it out to be because I think that Spurs at the moment are just a team in the ascendancy, to be honest. They are, again, over the last couple of weeks, they've just been scoring for fun um, and they look like they've been having fun whilst playing football as well. So who knows? I mean, maybe Gareth Bale does work his way into the squads, um, but quite honestly, right now, I am I am happy with, with Son and Kane, um, although Son is maybe being sort of left out of the party in terms of that uh, front attacking trio. Yeah, he does seem to hold back, actually, when, they, when, when Bale's on the pitch and running into the box. But we'll say as well, if, if we're doing some, some wild card shopping um, of the next sort of games, and we'll whiz through the, the Monday's games as well, well, because I'm a little bit aware of the time. But Crystal Palace, Benteke could be a nice little bench option if you're looking at getting a full bench. He, he got a goal against Spurs. He picked up a bonus point and he's actually scored a couple in, in, in recent games. Someone to Someone to watch out for. On Monday, Chelsea beat Everton 2-0 and West Ham beat Leeds 2-0. And again, there's a couple of decent, although, and it remains to be seen how, how sort of good Lingard will be um, over sort of a longer period of time or or how good any of Chelsea's attackers will be and, and how consistently they'll start. There are some decent looking defensive options in those two teams for, again, after the wildcard. There's there's Aaron Creswell, who just continues to perform and and be massively under my radar for no reason. There's Reese James, there's there's maybe Alonso, maybe Chilwell if you're feeling that way, or if you just want to invest in the Chelsea defences, there's Rudiger. And um and I don't think it's a bad thing to invest in the Chelsea defence either, because as I said to you earlier, they're gonna win the Champions League. They've conceded two goals in eleven games now since Tuchel came in, and one of them was an own goal to Zuma. They look very strong. They look very, very efficient at football. It just remains to be seen who the attackers that will be sort of involved in, in, in more games um, will be moving forwards. But but for now, the defence, they're on my uh, they're on my wildcard shortlist. And then I'll ask you about all this in a second, but just to round it all off, Man City beat Southampton 5-2. And Sterling was involved in, oh, not the first goal. Oh, and he wasn't involved in the second one either. Or the third one. <laughs> or the fourth one. Oh, Oh, or the fifth one. Hang on. Sterling didn't come on. Oh, oh, what a shame. What a shame, eh? Criminal. So upsetting game week for me there. Um, Mares got a bunch of points. De Bruyne got a bunch of points. Foden got a bunch of points. Every single Man City attacker that that wasn't Sterling got a, got a bunch of points. 
Oh, except obviously Jesus as well, but he's not an attacker. He's a, he's a bollard. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, I certainly this game and 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 the recent results for Manchester City, as I alluded to earlier, you know, they they are a fantastic defensive unit, but the more recent games have made me start to question whether or not double defense is where I want to be at um, going forward. And again, with the pep rotation as well, you know, Cancelo not not playing in that game. Um, perhaps being rested for the Champions League game as well, and of course this this weekend's uh, round of fixtures. But who knows? Um, look, I, I think Man City will no doubt get back to their defensive ways um, in the upcoming weeks. But really, you know, KDB is is where it's at. I I have I think we you know we we both have our full complement of Manchester City players at the moment, and it's again the wild card having that in in the back pocket is very much a get out of jail free card as it were um, in terms of fixing our team and maybe manoeuvring our Manchester City assets into a better position because I think that you know I, I, I assume that you certainly are going to be ditching Sterling I assume that you'll be picking up KDB instead of Sterling I'm sort of looking at my team and, and if I want to bring in KDB it would involve dropping Gundogan at the moment but Gundogan again I think KDB and Gundogan are the two players for me in that Manchester City attacking lineup that that I want to have in my team so it does involve maybe dropping the likes of Cancelo the likes of Diaz I think in terms of yeah going forward and and sort of their their threat and their capability to put a ball on the sixpence as well I think Cancelo certainly fills that bill but there is that risk of rotation with him whereas with Diaz maybe his ceiling is not as high as Cancelo but he is more often than not, going to be starting in that defence, um, partnering who whoever it may be, the likes of Laporte or Stones. I think that Diaz is the mainstay in that defence uh, nine times out of ten. So, yeah, I, I, I have some decisions to be made going forward. But, yeah, I, I think Man City, again, looking to, to bounce back and they did that fantastically well despite uh, conceding two goals. Yeah, they were on a bad run of form having lost one game in their last one game <laughs> so it was, it was interesting to see how quickly they returned to form unlike a certain Liverpool in short I can't wait for the wild card I can't wait to go shopping and you're so right KDB straight in so fixtures Jack there's a there's a normal game week for the first time in a long time there's a normal game week coming up um obviously immediately followed by the blank game week of of, of hell but I'll run through the fixtures. There's a couple of good ones here, a couple of really juicy ones that will define the game week. And uh, we'll then sort of finish up by talking about the changes we've made and who on earth you captain in this horrible game week. So Friday starts with Newcastle versus Aston Villa. On Saturday, Leeds versus Chelsea, Crystal Palace versus West Brom, Everton versus Burnley and Fulham versus Man City. Who knows how that will go. Sunday, Southampton versus Brighton on the BBC. Leicester versus Sheffield United, Arsenal versus Spurs and Man United versus West Ham. And then on Monday, Wolves uh, have a very easy home fixture against Liverpool, which um, should be quite comfortable for them. I think I think the standout fixture is obviously the, the North London derby. We, we've both made moves to get Arsenal and Spurs players into our team in preparation for next week or the week after. And um, this game will, will probably define our game week. Yeah, it will do for sure. I think... Again, you know, it's it's more more than likely that Mourinho will go with the same attacking front three who have been so fantastic over the last three weeks. Um, I think Son, Kane, and Bale will all play in that game. Uh, maybe Mourinho might rest Bale for a bit, and but but he will certainly come on as an impact sub. I'm hoping that that Saka will feature. I mean, of course, Mikel Arteta will want to be winning this game and get, and get his team back to winning ways after the result against Burnley. And I'm keeping everything crossed that, you know, Arsenal can do a job in the Europa League and, and win the first leg quite comfortably against Olympiacos and then, you know, put out his best side for, for this uh, game against Spurs. And, you know, it's like the Emirates. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for a very good game. Um, I am going to spoil it. At the moment, my, my armband is on Harry Kane. And I think that that's purely based on the fact that Harry Kane just absolutely loves a North London derby, mate. He he started the last 11 games against Arsenal home and away, and he's got 11 goals and one assist. Just, I mean, it speaks for itself, mate. Right now, the armband is firmly on Harry Kane. Um, the deadline this week is, of course, um, on Friday, because there is a, a Friday fixture, as you mentioned. So right now, it's on 
Harry Kane. I I think it's highly unlikely that it will change. Um, it's been on Harry Kane again since the beginning. Well, since, since I was able to change my captaincy across and, and pick my team for this week, it has firmly been on Harry Kane. And again, that's maybe it's something to do with looking at the rest of the players in my team. And again, considering Harry Kane's record and how well, not only how well he did this week, but certainly how well he performs in that Spurs team. And, and yeah, as you say, sticking it on Harry Kane, this game 100% will be a, a make or break for me because I think that Spurs can continue where, they, where they've left off really. And, and, and I think that they can really put the sword to an Arsenal side who are perhaps lacking a bit in confidence, certainly in the Premier League this season. Yeah. Have you, have you made any transfers as well this week in preparation for 29 or are you holding? So I do have one free transfer. I've not made any changes yet. As you say, there are a lot of, I say a lot. At the moment, I stand to have nine players featuring in, in the blank game week 29 if I use my two free transfers, which of course I will. My only concerns at the moment about my starting 11 is is Rafinha starting against Chelsea, who have just looked impenetrable, really. So an option for me would be potentially to upgrade Brewster to any one of, you know, Antonio Bamford or Watkins who all feature again in in game week 29 as well so it's not a bad situation to be in Um, I will potentially make the decision before I go to sleep this evening so it's going to be one of those where I I look at it and I try to evaluate who do I actually want to have in my in my team in the blank game week I am very much looking at the likes of perhaps Jesse Lingard into the side as well as as you talked about earlier you know he's looked fantastic and he's looked revitalized since his move to West Ham um, which then begs the question do I want to double up with Antonio as well if I do go down the Antonio Lingard route against a again against an Arsenal side who are maybe looking a bit lacking in confidence um, Watkins doesn't seem to be at his best without Jack Grealish in that side who knows mate I mean Bamford again do I really want to go with the triple up for Leeds but then again it is against Fulham again Josh Meyer is one of the players that has maybe been outspoken and overlooked I think he can certainly do a job against that Leeds defense when 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 they do play against each other in blank game 29 and he could be somewhat of a differential pick as well so I've got a lot of options in terms of the transfers that I may make whether or not I make it this week is yet to be seen again I'm, I'm gonna sort of sit on it um for a bit and, and just see evaluate where where i want to be in game 29 and, and and what transfers i want to make because again you know the teams all the teams all have difficult fixtures apart from aston villa in this uh upcoming game we can game week 28 so yeah it's 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 whether or not i think that aston villa and ollie Watkins can do a job against Newcastle and then again against the Spurs side that just look fantastic like I say you've got Leeds playing against Chelsea you've got uh, Fulham playing against Man City and then to be honest I mean West Ham playing against Man United is perhaps not as one-sided as as it looks on paper I mean especially considering the fact that Man United are playing at home at Old Trafford and and how well let's be honest how poor their, their home record has been this season compared to to previous seasons so who knows maybe Antonio might make his way into the side uh, before the deadline oh I love it I love it I love how many decisions that you have available to you I love how much sort of choice you have do you know what Jack I immediately upon Ings getting injured (laughs) ditched that sucker for Kane I just I ditched him so hard I got Kane in I captained Kane for very similar reasons given his his record in the North London derby and it's just staying on him I'm just rolling that dice and, and I love it. I, I'm captaining Kane. I'm keeping Kane. I think actually there's a real chance that even when I wildcard, Kane stays in the team. He just stays now until the end of the season because look at him. He's, he's oh well, top scorer at the 2018 World Cup, Jack. How are you going to deny him that? How are you going to deny a player of his calibre? So he's sticking in and he's my captain and... You said this to me actually in a chat, but but in terms of my final transfer before game week 29, there are some options. There's all the things you've just gone through, but there's also a certain Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang who could be, could be making his way into the team. We'll see. We'll see. Decisions to be made. Lots to happen. Can't wait for the North London derby because it will be, um, hopefully, the most disappointing thing 
so far because uh, you know just oh, gotta enjoy the lows to to reach the highs again right of course i hope kane scores a hat trick and, and that we both leave that one happy and i can't wait jack um somehow this this recording this podcast with you this this sort of the last hour has given me so much renewed hope for fantasy football so so thank you for that <laughs> i am i am glad mate i'm glad i could be of service to you and uh, i think i think we'll end there so so catch us next week when harry kane has scored three goals <laughs>